morning. It is amazing to be with you this morning. There's so much to talk about, so many things to be thankful for on this Lord's Day. Some of you might notice, if you were here last week, these cards remain on the chairs. I'll get to that here in just a second. Just want you know that was intentional. Okay, so those are there on purpose. These are the missions that we support. Um, if you weren't able to join us last week, then please go back and watch uh, last week's message um, so that you can learn about all of the missions, all 17 missions that we support here at Baruch. Um, it is so, so, so important um, for us to know who it is that we're supporting um, in this kingdom work that we're doing here, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that here in just one second. The theme, if you will, the, the title for today is simply this. Our God is exactly what you need, when you need it, and so much more. Does anybody agree with that? Yeah. My goodness, it's an incredible, incredible thought. This is a super special day for lots of reasons. We get to join together. That's always special. We get to give thanks to the Lord our God for everything that he has provided for all of us. Not that we shouldn't be grateful every day. We absolutely should. But something about this time of year, as you know, just seems to make it a little bit more special, right? So on behalf of all of us here at Berea, we want to let you know how thankful we are for all of you. Whether you're in person, whether you're joining us online, however it is, if you're watching later on in the week, it doesn't matter. However it is that you're joining us, we are so excited that you're a part of us. We're so thankful for your presence with us today. And I can't tell you how excited I am about today in particular, one element of today, that is this, this offering that we're going to be taking today to bless our ministry. Um, if you missed the last few weeks, then you might have missed the memo that this week, the fifth Sunday, the 29th of November, we are taking 100% of our offerings and we are sending them right back out the door this later this week to all of our missionaries all across the entire world. Um, uh, there'll be multiple, all, well, every one of them in some capacity, but we're going to just divide it up and send it out to all of those people. It's in addition to the normal 18 that we normally give to our missionaries each and every week, all right? So just keep that in mind. Um, consider it an end-of-the-year bonus. Those of you guys that have positions, jobs, where you get those things, it'll kind of be like that for our missionaries, not something they're used to getting for sure, all right? Um, now, here's the best part about this for them. Unless they're watching online, and to our knowledge, they aren't, um, they don't know it's coming. So it really will be a surprise to so many of our missionaries all around the world. If you can imagine what it would be, to get that surprise at the end of this year. It's been a very, very, very difficult year for so many of our missions, and so we get to, to bless them. And I'll be honest, we are praying for a miraculous offering today, whether you're watching in person or you're watching online. Please help us support our missionaries in this really special way. The easiest way, if you're at home, is um, David will post a link on the bereachristianchurch.online.church website right now. Um, you can get online. You can also do that through our website, bccbrazil.org. Um, just click that giving link, and it's the easiest possible way um, to give online toward this specific offering this week. Um, it is incredible. If you weren't able to join us last week, then you might not know if you're watching at home. This exact same form that everybody here has in their seats is available to you online. Again, if you're on the Berea Christian Church, that online.church website, David is posting right now the list 
of the 17 missionaries um, that we support all around the world and right here in Brazil, Indiana. And so you can look at that. He's also posting something else. The challenge that we gave you last week was for a ambassador, for a liaison, if you will, for each and every one of our missionaries. That means we need at least, at least 15 or 16 different people to step up and volunteer to take one of those ministries as their own. And all that means is that you're going to be willing for us to check in once a month, maybe twice a month, send them an email, call them, just check in and see how it is they're doing. Is there any specific prayer requests you guys have um, in your mission? Is there any specific needs in this moment that your mission has? So all that this is required of this position, and we are still looking for several people to adopt one of those missionaries, and that is why I left the cards in your seats this morning. So you could look at that list and see if God is indeed pulling you toward one of those missions to help us support them. We love being able to send them finances, financial support. It is essential to the work of those missions. But we really want to make it more personal. We want a personal engagement with every mission that we support every month to let we here at Berea really, really care about who they are, what they're doing, not just as a mission, but even as individuals within that mission. All right, so we're still looking for people. And I promised you last week, I am not going to stop mentioning that until every one of our missions has a representative. All right, so um, keep keep coming. And I'll tell you eventually when we get some numbers in, I'll tell you how many we have left and things like that. But if you were waiting like last week, oh, somebody else will do it. Well, they didn't. So if that was you saying that, then that means God's telling you that you're the one that's supposed to take on one of those missions. All right, so keep that in mind. I'll update what ones have been, have been uh, claimed and things like that. I'll give you a couple next week whenever we get that. And hopefully I'll give you all of them next week because they'll all be officially claimed. All right, one last memo that I want to let you know. Um, this offering today that we're giving out is not part of our budget. It's here. We're stepping out on faith. We know that God will use you to provide what Berea Christian Church needs for the rest of December and for the rest of this year to finish the year strong. All right? So it's not the budget. This is something we're totally stepping out on because we feel like it is so important for our missionaries to feel loved and appreciated. And this year has beat them up just like it's beaten us up. And so we want to step out and do this for all of them. All right. So there you go. That's it. It's been a crazy, crazy year, right? Thanksgiving 2020. Was it weird for anybody? Did anybody have a really odd Thanksgiving um, this year with or without family? How many of you had conversations throughout the week or maybe leading up to this week or even at Thanksgiving itself? Like, hey, you know what? Honestly, this just kind of stinks. Like this whole holiday, it's just I'm just not digging it, not understanding why it's so difficult. Why is, is this just not, why hasn't God gotten rid of this by now? Like there's just something that seems to be missing in all of our hearts and all of our families and all of our minds. If you've had that conversation, just raise your hand. I'm just curious. Anybody have any difficult conversations this last? Okay. All right. A few of you. All right. Well, as the body of Christ, the question becomes this. What are you doing about it? Because every year at this time, people struggle the holidays. Every year. That is not an uncommon thing due to lots and lots and lots of different reasons. But this year, there's additional pressure on the holidays. And so how have you begun reaching out to your friends, to your coworkers, to your family members, whoever it is that's around you with the love of Christ this year? What could you do to bring a little joy to those people's life, right? To make them feel loved, to make them feel appreciated. Here's what I want you to do. If you haven't started, December starts this week, so it's a perfect time to start. I just want you to listen. I just want you to listen. Listen for that still, small voice from God. And that still, small voice is going to tell you to do something very simple. 
He's going to tell you to write a letter. He's going to ask you to send a text to make a phone call, to bake some cookies, to send a card, to buy a gift, to stop by that person's house and have a conversation on the front porch. What we don't know is that any one of those moments might brighten someone's day. They might remind them that they are, in fact, loved. It might be the gift that helps them get through that hard week and gives them just a little bit of hope. We honestly don't know how God will use our simple, random acts of love to lift somebody up. Do not miss that this holiday season, right? This week, what we're going to do is we talk about Thanksgiving that just passed us by, is we're going to read a passage that when you first read it with me here in a minute, go ahead and turn to it, Psalm chapter 46. Psalm chapter 46. What, what you're going to read, you're going to listen to this with me. You're thinking, this doesn't really seem like a Thanksgiving passage, Pastor Chris. This just doesn't seem right. Well, as you know, if you've been around here much at all, you know that I am a huge context guy, and I'm hoping you're becoming that too. Where we don't read the Bible just all by itself, we have to put it in the context from which we get the verse. But today, I'm going to break with that just for a moment here, and I'm going to just read the verse. And I would love for you to read along with me. Just let it soak in. Listen to the words of the author and see if you can hear the gratefulness, the thanksgiving in the pen of this author. All right, so Psalm 46, and this is, this is one of the things I love to do. Um, if there are kids in the room, and there are today, the children's ministry is closed here for a couple weeks, grab one of those Bibles underneath the seats in front of you kids, find Psalm 46, and read along with us. I'll be reading basically the exact same version that you are, so you can follow right along with us. All right, so here we go. Verse 1, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in time of trouble, famous verse. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to end to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now that's a beautiful passage, isn't it? It's got several famous verses that you've heard a lot. God is our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in time of trouble. Be still and know that I am God. So the question becomes, was the author just a really good poet? Was he just chilling by the pool in Israel, eating some figs and some dates and just enjoying the goodness of God? Or was there something else going on when they did this? His words appear to have some depth to him, some passion, some emotion, as if he was really, really grateful for something. As if maybe God had intervened on their behalf, answered some prayers, and delivered them from something. The person that wrote this was clearly a thankful person, but what for? If you're like me, if you've ever read the Psalms, there's some things that you, you probably have wondered. First of all, you might wonder, well, who wrote it? Who wrote these things? Now, we've identified most of the authors, but then you might ask the question, why? Why did they write these things? Were they just great poets, or were they real-life events that provided the inspiration 
for those words. Unfortunately, we can't dot all the I's and cross all of the T's of all of the Psalms. There's a lot of them. But we do know a lot about who wrote them. And there are many that we can connect with specific events from Jewish history. And so here it goes. It's stated that this psalm at the beginning was written by the sons of Korah. Now, most of you probably wouldn't know who that is, so let me give you a very brief, brief history. We can't get into the full extent of this family line because there's a long one. But here's what I can tell you. It's a fascinating story that dates all the way back to the Exodus out of Egypt. The sons of Korah are the descendants of a man named Korah. The man named Korah attempted to lead a rebellion against Moses and the Levites. It's a famous story where this rebellion ended with all of those people getting swallowed by the earth. <laughs> uh, not such a good idea to lead that rebellion, I guess. These men then are carried on. So not all of this family died during that event. Some of them were carried on and throughout Jewish history. And they're listed as people, servants of David. They're listed as singers for King Jehoshaphat and other people within the Old Testament. There's a long family history. But let's get to this actual context. What happened to inspire this psalm, Psalm 46, to the Lord? Well, it's believed that this psalm was written after the events that are recorded in 2 Chronicles chapter 32 and 2 Kings 19. So in those Bibles that you have open right now, put that, um, put that list of our missions in one place. So 2 Chronicles is where we'll start. Put that, put that, uh, that folder in, in, uh, in Psalm 46 because we'll go back there. And then put your finger or something in 2 Kings chapter 19. So we're going to Chronicles chapter 32 first, and then we'll go to 2 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to blend them together a little bit because they tell the story of what all happened leading up to the reading of Psalm 46. All right? So 2 Chronicles chapter 32. After Hezekiah had so faithful, everything he'd so faithfully done, Sanherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. He laid siege to the fortified cities, thinking to conquer them for himself. Here's the backstory. Six years before King Hezekiah had assumed the throne of Judah, the Assyrians had conquered the northern kingdom, that of Israel. At that moment in time, Judah had an arrangement, shall we say, with the kings of Assyria. But as kings uh, changed, both in Assyria and in Jerusalem, Hezekiah sought a little bit more freedom, a little more independence from that relationship. Ultimately, it led the new king of Assyria to begin invading Judah with the ultimate goal of taking Jerusalem. There's your backstory. Verse 2. When Hezekiah saw that Senhar, king of Assyria, had come and that he had intended to wage war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his officials and his military staff about blocking off the water from the springs outside of the city. And so they helped him. They gathered a large group of people who blocked all the springs and the streams flowed through the land. Why should the kings of Assyria come and find plenty of water, they said. Then he worked hard repairing all the broken sections of the wall of Jerusalem and building towers on it. He built another wall outside of that one and reinforced the terraces of the city of David. He also made large numbers of weapons and of shields. And then it says, he appointed the military officers over the people. He assembled all the people before them in the square of the city gate and encouraged them with these words. This is King Hezekiah speaking. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because the king of Assyria and his vast army with him, for there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of the flesh. But with us, with us, is the Lord our God to help us fight our battles. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, king of Judah, had said. However, 
Later, the king of Assyria and all his forces began laying siege to Lahish. He sent officers to Jerusalem with this message for Hezekiah, king of Judah, and for all the people, people in Judah who were there. This is what Sanhedrin, king of Assyria, says. On what are you people basing your confidence? That you remain in Jerusalem under siege? But Hezekiah says, the Lord our God will save us from the hand of the king of Assyria. He's misleading to you. He's going to let you die of hunger and of thirst. Don't let Hezekiah himself, didn't Hezekiah himself remove this God's high places and altars, saying that you had to go to Judah and Jerusalem to worship before one altar and burn sacrifices there? Do you not know that my predecessors, all that they have done to the people of other lands, were the gods of all those other nations able to deliver their land from my hand? Who of all the gods of these nations that my predecessors have destroyed has been able to save his people from me? How then can your measly little Israeli God deliver you from my hand? Don't let Hezekiah deceive you and mislead you. Don't believe anything from him. For no God of any nation or any kingdom has ever been able to deliver his people from my hand or the hand of my predecessors. How much less will your God deliver you? from my hand. <laughs> he is taunting the Israelites in a major, major way. Sarcasm absolutely throughout. Do you really people think you can do anything? Come on. Syrians. What makes the Assyrians so great? Well, they had a vast army. They'd established this huge worldwide domination. Why? The basis army. What was so special about the army? They were highly trained. They were very professional. The, the troops had an incredible deal of experience in battle. That's all they've done is fight their entire lives. They were very well organized into very specific units of charioteers, cavalry, bowmen, and lancers. The Assyrian armies had a corps of engineers. That was something new to the world. That moved these large, movable towers from place to place, using these iron-headed um, battering rams to break down walls and break open city gates for those walled towers, like walled cities like Jerusalem. Their soldiers used iron weapons. Everybody else used bronze. The Assyrians built roads. It wasn't the Romans that pioneered that. The Assyrians began that process many years before. So they could quickly and easily move troops from place to place. And even once they conquered a place, if somebody got out of line, they could immediately get back there very quickly to bring things under control. But that wasn't it. The Assyrians used a few other tools. One of the greatest ones was fear. You heard about it in this last passage. Fear of the Assyrians. Wars are all cruel. There's no doubt about that. The Assyrians were especially notorious for the torture that they used. These are the words of one of the early Assyrian kings who stated, this is what I did to people after we conquered. I built pillars over and against the gate. I filleted all their chief men covering the pillars with their skins. I impaled them on pillars and stakes. Many people we took captive. We burned some with fire. We cut off hands. We cut off fingers. We cut off noses. We cut off ears. And we put out eyes. It wasn't enough to just conquer a people. They had to make an example of why you should not try to even bother fighting against the Assyrian, the mighty Assyrian Empire. And here they are calling ahead with their plans to the Israelites. Oh, by the way, here's what we're going to do to you too. Don't you know what we did to everybody else? Do you really want that? Do you think you can stop us? Yeah, right. This army has already conquered a very nearby stronghold of Judah, Lachish. Jerusalem was, of course, next to fall. Let's resume in verse 16, same chapter 32. Sennacherib's officers spoke further against the Lord. It wasn't enough. They had more to pile on and against Hezekiah. The king also wrote letters ridiculing the Lord, the God of Israel, and saying this against him. 
Just as the gods of other people of other lands did not rescue people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not rescue his people either. Then they'll call out in Hebrew to the people in Jerusalem. They're yelling at the people standing guard in Jerusalem on the wall in their native language to terrify them, to make them afraid in order to capture the city. They spoke about the God of Jerusalem as they did all the other gods of all the other peoples of the worlds, the works made of human hands. This is what Judah was facing. An imminent attack from the mighty Assyrian army would surround the city. They would starve the inhabitants. They would make them weak, break down the walls, go in, conquer the people, carry some away as slaves, as prisoners, while others they murdered, tortured, and worse, to make an example of why you should not even bother to try to stand up against the mighty Assyrian army. If you wondered, this is what the author of Psalm 46 was living through. This was the absolute certain fate that everyone in Jerusalem was dealing with. Can you imagine? Can you imagine living in fear of something that was inevitable and was going to get you, strike you down? I'm sure we can't in this world that we live in, can we? There are people living in fear today of a disease, of other things, waiting, just waiting for that disease to come and to strike them down or their family members or other loved ones. This is the same fear that these people are living in, although I would probably say this is a bigger, it's turned up a little when you realize the reality of an invading army surrounding you, right? But the fear, the human fear is the same. Flip to 2 Kings, because now the scene changes. As Hezekiah heard this, he begins to pray, begins to go to the famous prophet Isaiah. It says in verse 1, 2 Kings chapter 19, when Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, went to the temple of the Lord. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. Then they told him, this is what Hezekiah says, this is the day of distress and rebuke and distress, distress as the children come to the moment of childbirth and there's no strength left to deliver them. It may be that the Lord our God will hear the words of the field commander whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God, and that he will in fact rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, pray, pray for the remnant that still survives. In verse 5, when King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said back to them, Tell your master, King Hezekiah, this is what the Lord says, Do not be afraid. Of what you've heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, when he hears, hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country, and then I will have him cut down with the sword. These are Isaiah's words from God back to the king. Hey, don't fear, don't worry about it. As a matter of fact, he's not going to bother you. We're going to send him packing home, and when he gets there, actually, somebody's going to murder him. What? Second Chronicles gives us a little more of these prayers between Isaiah and Hezekiah. So go back to Second Chronicles, verse 20 is where we'll pick up. I told you we'd be flipping back and forth. You've got to put the story all together. King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, cried out. Both of these men are now praying to God for their deliverance. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubims, you are God above all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, 
Lord. And here, open your eyes, Lord, and see, listen to the words that this evil Assyrian king has sent to ridicule you, the living God. Verse 17. It is true that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations, to their lands. They have thrown the gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are God. That's King Hezekiah's prayer. Now we go to Isaiah. He has now prayed to God. He's got word from God being a prophet, and he is sending it to the king of Israel, King Hezekiah. So we're back in 2 Kings chapter 19 again. In verse 20, Isaiah, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord says. The Lord God of Israel. Hey, hey, Hezekiah, I've heard your prayers concerning the king of Assyria, Sanherib. This is the word that the Lord has spoken against him. Virgin daughter Zion despises you and mocks you. Daughter Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. Who is it that you've ridiculed and blasphemed? Let me tell you. Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Let me tell you, it was against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers, you have ridiculed the Lord. And you have said, with my many chariots, I have ascended the heights of the mountains, the utmost heights of Lebanon. I've cut down the tallest, the choicest of junipers. I have reached the remotest parts, the finest of its force. I've even dug wells in all those foreign lands and drunk the waters there with the soles of my feet. I have dried up the streams of Egypt. This is the Syrian king being cocky with God. And God says, hey, oh, by the way, have you not heard? Have you not heard that long ago I ordained all of these things to happen? I've brought it to pass. I made it happen that you would turn fortified cities into piles of stone. I knew that was going to be. I knew that the people would be drained of their power, dismayed, put to shame. They're all like plants in the field, like tender shoots of grass sprouting on the roof, scorched before it grows. But you know, but I know, here's the thing. I know where you are. I know where you come and, and where you go and how you rage against me. And so because you rage against me, and because your insolence has now reached my ears, I'm going to put a hook in your nose and a bit in your mouth and drag you back home where you belong. That's God taunting him back. Oh, yeah, well, let's just see what happens, Almighty oh, King. Skipping ahead to verse 32. For, Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city. He will not shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with a shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend it myself. I will save it for my sake, and I will save it for the sake of David, my servant. And then it says, that night, an angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. And when they got up the next morning, there were all of these dead bodies everywhere. So Sanhedrin, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. And he returned to Nineveh to stay there. Now, pause there just for a second and flip back to 2 Chronicles, beginning in verse 21. 2 Chronicles 32, 21, because it gives us the rest of what happened. It says the Lord, an angel, who annihilated the fighting men, the commanders, and the officers in the camp of the Assyria, 185,000 in total. He withdrew to his own land in disgrace. And when he went into his temple of his God, some of his very own sons, his very own flesh and blood, cut him down with the sword, just as Isaiah had prophesied. 
So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem from the hand of Sanhedrin, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all the others. He took care of them on every side. Many brought offerings to Jerusalem for the Lord and the valuable gifts for Hezekiah, king of Judah. From then on, he was highly regarded by all nations. So here you go. Imminent doom, death, destruction, suffering, anguish, pain, torture, complete disaster for the Jews. And the God of Israel in the middle of the night sends one, just one angel to go in, not thousands, just one, to take care of the entire issue. This is what the sons of Korah, their wives, their children, their relatives, and their friends, this is the pandemic that they lived through. And as a result, we are blessed with Psalm 46. Now you have some context. You know sons of Korah responding to. Now imagine their passionate praise in writing these words. Our God is our refuge and our strength. An ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams may glad the city of God and a holy place where the most high dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. The night had passed. The soldiers had been destroyed. Kingdoms, nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. Desolations he has brought upon the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks bows and shatters spears and burns shields with fire. And then he says, be still and know that I Am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. Amen. Does that give you a little more perspective of the heart of the authors that wrote Psalm 46? Thinking about what they lived through, comparing that to our circumstances and what we're living through, right? Good news. Good news for you, that same God is with us today. That same God will lift us up today. That same God that we're lifting our praise to today, this is the same God that we are to be thankful for for infinite number of ways that he blesses us each and every day. This year has been tough. We'll never, ever, ever make light of that for so many. But can you, will you take a step back from your circumstances and acknowledge that God has, in fact, played a role in your life this year? Has your faith in him grown this year? Have you seen his hand at work this year? Some people will answer that question, no. Maybe at home you're going, no, I really can't identify the work of God in my life this year. Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you right now, wherever you are, to take a moment and to pray to God to reveal himself to you right now. He is with you. For some reason, 
Your eyes have been blinded to that reality. You see pain, suffering, illness, loss, confusion, all of those things can harden our heart, can close our eyes to the reality to keep us from being able to see God within us. But his spirit is moving. His spirit is moving to open those eyes, to loosen those chains, to forgive whatever needs forgiven, and to restore you if you will receive that healing. So this week is going to be a little different for invitation time. We're going to try really hard. We're praying that the Spirit moves a few people out of their comfort zone. First and foremost, we will always, always, always make this time at the end of a message a time to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. This same Christ, this same God that protected the Hebrew nation in this moment is the same God that you can have in your life today, this very day, to save you not just in this moment or for this moment, but for all eternity. And if you've never ever accepted that Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then today is the day to come and give thanks for who he is and to confess him as your Lord and Savior. And so that will always be our first priority is making that invitation readily available to anyone that needs to answer that call. But secondly, I just asked you, would you begin praying? If you have been unable to identify God's presence in your life this year because of the struggles of this year, would you begin praying that? Then we are asking right now that God will move in you and open your eyes to his presence in your life. If that is you, if you are praying that prayer right now, whether here or at home, if you are praying that prayer, then would you please just come forward and have a seat right up here in the front? We don't need to get close to you. You don't need to tell us what's going on, nothing. We just want to pray for you. We want to share in this prayer in your life. We want to pray along with you that God will answer that prayer and reveal to you whatever it is that he has for you today. We don't need to know the details because God knows. We just want to join you in claiming the promises that God has made for you. And I know we don't have folks forward and do that often. I understand that. And so that's why I'm going to step it up one more notch because that's what I felt God wanted us to do when I was writing this message so long ago. The last area that we want to challenge you with, and this will be a little bit later on, is this. This year, some of us in this room, myself included, have some very genuine, very real reasons to be thankful. Do we not? You don't have to be as poetic as the sons of Korah. But what we want to do is we want to offer that microphone right there for you to come and just share why you're thankful. Just why you're thankful to God. And here's the thing. We know that maybe a lot of folks won't come. That's okay. But we're hoping a few do because we know that their story, that their thankfulness will inspire someone here or someone watching online this morning to open their eyes to why they should be thankful for the Lord our God and what he has done in their lives this year. So I'll remind you here in a moment, but that will be available after that invitation song to come and just share with us what you are thankful for. Remember, God's word asks to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And we want to rejoice with you. We want to share in your blessings, okay? Don't let us miss out on that opportunity. You're robbing us if you won't share it with us. We want to celebrate right along with each of you. So in this moment, during this invitation song, be still and know that I am God. Know that he is your refuge and he is your strength. He is our ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, not even that microphone. <laughs> do you believe that? Do you believe that? If you do, then share. Share with us this morning because here's the thing. God is exactly what you need when you need him. And so much.
more. Let's pray. Father God, as we reflect on uh, this year, a year like no other for all of us living. Father, so many of us, we're still confused. We're still trying to figure out what's going on. We're still trying to figure out your plan for this year, how this all works together in our lives. Father, you promise that it does. May this morning be maybe a morning of discovery for some. Maybe for someone, the opportunity to come and accept your son, Jesus Christ, as a personal Lord and Savior for the first time ever. What a blessing that would be. What an incredible thing to rejoice. But Father, maybe for so many this morning, this long year is the morning that you finally opened their eyes to the realities of how you have been with them throughout this year, how you have guided them, protected them, loved them. Father, we've been so discouraged, so upset by the things around us that we just haven't taken time to notice. Father, forgive us for that. Please forgive us for that. And open our eyes today to the reality of your presence within our lives. And Father, here in a moment, we're going to give an opportunity for anybody in this room. We got people in this room that have recovered from COVID. <laughs> that shouldn't have, to be honest. The statistics say that they're in the high-risk category, yet here they are. We got people watching at home this morning that are recovering from COVID, that have gotten better from COVID, and they shouldn't have according to the world. But Father, we know you are greater than anything in this world. Father, we have people with miraculous stories of things that have happened throughout this year and just simple, simple ways that they want to express their thankfulness. I pray that your spirit moves them to do that this very morning in this very place to share with all of us here and all of us watching online how you've moved in their lives. Father, we love you. In your son Jesus' name we pray.